The year is 1932. See? The year is 1932. See? See, that's not how people from New York talk. Well, not anymore. See? Well, let me tell you something, sunny boy. The year is 1932, and there's a lot of bad shit happening. (laughs) Only bad shit. Only bad shit. And one of the many bad shits is that the United States reaches its ultimate low during the Great Depression this year. This is the poorest it was during the Big Bad Depression. Uh, Also, something that happened in this year is that Benito Mussolini promised uh, the country of Italy that he would remain dictator for 30 whole years. Oh. So, you know, shit's going down in the world. We're leading up to a great big thing that's about to happen. Some One might even call it a world-altering thing. Mm-hmm. You know what else happened in 1932? The movie Bad Girl got the Academy Award for Best Director. Another bad shit. I'll be your critic, Mavis Evergreen. I'm going to talk about feminist issues mostly, and sometimes storytelling and LGBTQ issues as well. And my name is Andy Reyes. I normally try to talk about things from a socialist perspective as well as try to bring in outside sources for various minority perspectives. Uh, Lately, we haven't been watching many movies where this has come up. Uh, I also try to talk about movie history and production history. Hit me with a summary. Bad Girl is a romance drama directed by our old friend Frank Borzaggi and starring James Dunn and Sally Oilers. Based on a play based on a book, the stage is set in working-class New York City, where boutique model Dorothy complains to her friend Edna, a single mother widower, how she's tired of being chased by men who only want one thing. Until they go to Coney Island, and she meets Eddie, a wet towel of a man radio electrician who dreams of opening his own store. Infatuated by his inability to communicate and how he negs her constantly, they spend the night together. Unfortunately, getting home late causes her brother to realize what she's done. Have premarital sex. So he kicks her out. Luckily, Edna helps Dorothy cope with this until Eddie decides to arrive and they get married. But Eddie's dreams of opening his own store are thrown out the window when he decides to buy Dorothy a whole new house and she tells him that she's actually pregnant. Dorothy thinks that Eddie doesn't want the baby and is cheating on her, so she plans on leaving him. But Eddie is actually just working extra shifts and losing at prize fights so that they can afford a better doctor. Other stuff happens, a baby is born, the end. Slut. God. I have been pondering the best way to talk about the emotional roller coaster that is this movie. I think there was a moment, there was a solid 30 minutes of this movie, which is only 90 minutes long. We should mention, this is the first movie we watched that's 90 minutes long, and that does this movie so many favors. It does this movie so many favors, but also it's still too long. It's about an hour too long. Um. <laughs> There's only a good, like, 20 minutes in here. This movie has such weird pacing. It is paced like a modern action thriller is paced. I think I talked to you about this. Yes. It's also um, cut like that. Yeah, and it's cut like that, too. There's, like, constant, like, fast cuts, and, like, the camera's very stationary, um, very shot over shot. There's only, like, one interesting shot in the film. Which is wild, because our boyfriend Borzaggi loves a stairwell shot. He loves a good stairwell shot. His technique isn't really on display here, but no. I guess I guess what is on display here is his um, his ability to work in a very cheap production. This movie is very cheap. 
what kind of comes out of it is this like something that's cut like the way a CW drama, right? Like Pretty Little Liars is cut and edited. To be fair, this is like a pulp movie. It is kind of inherently meant for the audience that is the CW audience. So mm-hmm. a thing that I wanted to talk about, and I think now it works out, is this movie fits into a genre that kind of doesn't exist anymore, which is like poor, risque love, but it's risque because like it's depicting poverty and i would say now we have like this relationship with like oh aristocratic love and like maybe it's like an aristocrat and like a poor person whatever but like this was like oh they're both poor and they're in love and mm. oh isn't that isn't that such pulp ho, 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 ho. It, it definitely like a part of the appeal of this movie is is watching quote-unquote working class people having trouble and being like oh but if if only they were not working class yeah if only they were smarter and not stronger richer if only they were written not dumb they would they wouldn't be having these problems and a way this movie conveys that yeah is through some not very tasteful dialogue oh god yeah that's right we had two notable quotables the first one was let's see here they're discussing marriage and, and how it's terrible and one of the main love interest eddie's boss says here's a lesson don't get married and eddie says not a chinaman's chance and i'm and like I don't even know what that means what does that even mean no idea right and then later and later the brother is like you should never be with any other man you should only ever be with me your brother and never do the premarital sex. And this is being said by, I think, Edna, when she's, like, still, when she, before she realizes, like, oh, this guy's a piece of shit. She kind of has, like, the feels for him. Yeah. So she she says, let her find out there's not another man that'll treat her as white as you did. And the the dialogue, with the exception, I think those are the two... Those are the two big ones. Well, there, there's, like, one, where's, like, two more racist things that yeah. happen at the end of the movie during the really prolonged birth scene. <laughs> but that sounds like... Not that's not what it is, but anyway, um, but like other than that, the dialogue in this is written very snappily and very like slang heavy. Uh, it's got a lot of jargon in it. A lot of the, I guess to me, like what I would think of as old timey jargon. <laughs> yeah. But of just like I was walking down and I saw the sunshine and it was like a daffodil or it, whatever. Like it's just weird things. It's not. It's not quite like like we have this trope of in in the 80s and like 70s of we had we'd had these um kind of black exploitation movies where yeah. these african-americans are basically forced to speak in uh weird hip-hop around yeah, jive uh jive talk f- f- because that's how that's like an easy way to be like oh they're black and they're from like an urban area yeah this is how they talk and you know this feels like that, but before that, like yeah. like this is what poor people talk supposedly. It is the shorthand for just poor people. So, and to the point where, like, when her brother talks, he talks like a fucking Looney Tunes gangster. Mm, see, yeah, yeah. See, get the fuck out. See, and like, it it's not meant to be comedic. It's meant to be like, oh, this is how poor people talk. And just oh, he's so un- uneducated. And this is like Frank Borzaghi's fucking like cheddar, right? Like, this is what he did. If this movie had a main theme. You know how some movies we've watched open with, like, a thesis credit? God, I wish every movie did it. It'd be great. Um, If this movie opened with a thesis credit, the thesis credit would be, it's so hard for a husband when his wife gives birth. Oh, my God. Yeah, the the amount of times... It said 
three times. See, I, I think for me, the theme of this movie is, I, I think this is a trying to be a movie about communication. I think this wants to be a That's movie wild. about about how in order for a relationship to work, you need to have good communication. They never communicate. No, they never communicate. At no point in the There movie, is no arc about them communicating. They just don't. They just don't. Like, just part don't. of the reason she likes the dude is because she's like, oh, I like that you don't communicate very well. It, I, okay. Oh my god, no. We can't get into that now. No, I'm gonna need, get we, into we it. We need to keep talking about the... The thesis and all of the... Mm-hmm. The ambiance yeah. around it. Mm-hmm. The real, like, MRA shit. Yeah. Um, this movie never really comes down on it, um, specifically, but there are, like, some underlying themes being very anti-marriage as being, like, a poor thing. Like, oh, after your seventh or eighth marriage, it doesn't matter as much in this idea of, like, ah, uh, we're really losing touch with the purity of marriage, or at least the poor are losing touch with the purity of marriage. But then on top of that, this other theme of, like, the worst thing you can be in life, and I think this is pre- said pretty, like, clearly throughout the movie, is, like, a single mother. Yeah. And it doesn't really follow those through lines to anywhere, but it's just a weird thing to pepper in and never touch again. It doesn't... It doesn't have anything. See, the, the the problem with the movie is the movie doesn't have anything to say about the like about the experience that these people are going through. It just wants to show it to you, right? It's yeah. a it's a it's a flip book of tragedy that happens to have a happy ending. But honestly, I think the reason it has a happy ending is because if it would have been, and I'll get into this later, too controversial to to really go all out on what what this movie I think wanted to be about. Yeah. But but the fact that it it's so it's like such a clipped wing, the end result just becomes like. You are just sitting here watching these people be miserable and and laughing at their... Misery. Inability to escape this cycle of poverty. Yeah. And it's funny to you because you're a person who's not in it. Or it's supposed to be funny. Or maybe not funny, but definitely dramatic. I mean, the the straight man in all of this, the person who sees through the, like, through the poverty is our bootstraps of a main character who lives his entire life being like, I'm going to lift myself out of poverty and I'm not going to be an idiot who gets married or has kids. And I hate children. I hate... He is such a nothing character, oh but he's God. also... I think he's the closest thing... We get to a character. With him. He has an arc. Like He yeah. has an arc from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie. At the beginning of the movie, he's just like a shitty, angry, petulant dude. And he is still an angry and petulant, shitty dude at the end. But, you know, he, he goes, goes through some change. Him. Um, I I honestly want to say, I think he's the first character we've seen change in any of these movies. I don't think anybody's had, like, significant change through any of the movies we've watched. Like, I don't want to heap praise onto this man because he fucking sucks, but... I think, I think, um, I think All Quiet on the Western Front has... Has a pretty good shift. Just, but but that that movie is very explicitly about how war changes people. Yeah. He's not a character though, agreed. right? Yeah, agreed. Where like like Eddie is a character who has a goal. He <laughs> wants to open his own radio store. That's like a tangible thing mm-hmm. that he explicitly states in the film. This is what I want to do, and then we get to see him make the choice mm-hmm. to throw that dream away over and over and over again. Um, just the once, but yeah, sure. No, I would say he does it twice, maybe okay. even three times. Mm-hmm. But like, but it's one of those things where it's like we're we're seeing a character. This is the re- part of the reason why this is a character, like a character character, as opposed to these other characters who have just been almost like archetypes, yeah. or or at least fa- very flat in comparison. Is that 
he is actively making choices and trying to change the outcome of his fate. I think a thing that sort of makes this movie work, or at least makes it a roller coaster, mm-hmm. we'll talk about how this movie sort of fails, is the fact that his actions, I guess, do change the plot as opposed to a plot happening and his actions not really mattering. Yeah. And that is, I think, the first time that actions have actually mattered to a plot, other than events happening to people. Yeah, I. it's a thing that frustrates me because it's it's not good, but it's it's the first time we've seen it done um, in a movie that we've had to fucking watch for these for these fucking things. Ever. I've never seen it done before. I've, I've, never, seen a, I've never seen a character before. The crux of his character is that Eddie was born into poverty. His mother died when he was very young, and his father was never around. Because he was working. I believe he also died. I, and, point in case. But, a and, sad childhood. And so he has basically committed himself to never having kids because he doesn't want to abandon them the way he was abandoned. He doesn't want to work himself to death the way or his parents his children, did. Yeah. Well, the way his parents did in order to give a child a miserable life. Yeah. Right? And so the way he does this is by just being mad at the world around him and trying to open up his own radio store so that he can be fiscally independent in a way that his parents never could be. Yeah. But and then the the thing that shakes this up is he meets Dorothy, except he fucking hates her, or at least he acts like he hates her. Yeah. So we'll take this time to talk about their encounter to romance because they meet once and then they're in it love. It fucking sucks. It it sucks so hard. <laughs> so he literally just nags this woman. It is the archetype of he doesn't want me and therefore I want him. And he, by any logic, should not be into her, but is because she is hot. So the point of it is supposed to be like defying these stereotypes of like, oh, well, she's hot and everybody wants her, but he doesn't want her and like, therefore she's attracted to him. But also the only thing he's attracted to about her is not her personality because he's constantly shitting on it. And not her looks because he's constantly shitting on it and not like it does it seems to be the only reason either of them are with each other it's just because they happened to like physically be in the same room for a day because they both because they both are not what the other thinks their gender is in a way i guess that's not it though because he complains that he's just that she's just like all these other women yeah so so what the fuck why are they there's no reason for him to be with her. We like, just, there's nothing he likes about her. To, to the extent that, and, and I think the worst, like, the worst edited this movie is, is the beginning, is that, like, they are they are literally yelling at each other at Coney Island, mm-hmm. and then it literally smash cuts to them, like, in her apartment, or not. At the not, stairs of her apartment. And and they're just, like. Flirting like, now. All out and out, flirting and having a great time, and yeah. it's like. Ooh, and it's like, how did you get to here? A whole fucking movie. We missed a whole fucking movie. So I think we kind of need to go into her character, talk about this scene, because they do her character so fucking dirty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you find out that she's this boutique model and she's like telling a bunch of guys who are hitting on her off. And it's really nice. And it's like, yeah, fucking go get them. I'm about it. I support mm-hmm. it. And then one of her friends, I think it's Edna, it's Edna, is like, hey, there's this guy who like isn't turning his head. And she's like, oh, well, $5 bets that he will. And it's like, okay. I don't know why she'd want to do this, because she doesn't want to be hit on, but sure, I can, like, play into this thing of her being like, ah, guys are all the same, and I'm doing this to be like, every guy's the same, right? So she goes over to him, and, like, starts singing on a ukulele that she just pulls out of nowhere. I think Edna's holding it. 
but this ukulele is out of nowhere literally it's not a thing that ever comes back in the movie no and starts playing i guess in like a seductful way Mm. um maybe in an annoying way (laughs) and and he, he just fucking shits on her and he's like hey you're dressed like a slut and you are annoying and shut up and I hate you. I think he literally says like like uh, all like he said he he starts complaining about like women like oh, yeah. all women real men's right shit and like the thing that he really says that like I think really like causes us to kind of like be like fuck this movie is like or fuck this guy anyway um, is he he's like you women like you always complain about men hitting on them but then why do you go around dressing like that like you're asking for it yeah and it like really leans into this like ongoing perception that like women aren't allowed to look nice nice because they want to look nice right like i don't fucking i don't personally enjoy looking like shit i don't walk (laughs) around not looking like shit because i want like women are meant to hit on me i just i i don't want to look like shit like i'm sorry if that fucking bothers you dude like yeah and i feel like edna could be like ah this man is a piece of shit cool i can go on believing that all men suck like, this has fulfilled her ideology, but instead, Edna's like, oh my god, he I doesn't lo- find me attractive. I, love, I him. love him. I love him. And the wild thing is, though, is like, he, it is so much further than not finding you attractive to the point of being emotionally manipulative of you and degrading of you. And so it's just a movie in which this man nags a woman and she's like, I guess I love you. And that character trait of me being strong and independent is gone forever. It will never come back again. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. just a loyal wife now. Yeah, it's it's super rough. And I, I, it's one of those things where it's like leaning into such a like toxic representation. But it's not, again, the movie's not, I don't think the movie's trying to say that women are like this. I think it's, it's just born of laziness. Yeah. Like, we're not gonna, we're not willing to do the work to make these characters... Actually fall in love or like each other or, or have like any each chemistry. Other or have any chemistry. Or, or even be like nippy in the way that like there's a way you could do this that would be i think interesting to watch mm-hmm. which is like you know you could do like you know two characters maybe who who don't like each other but are also maybe being left behind in a way that like you know kind of like everybody knows two friends in high school who ended up getting together not because they like each other but because all of their other high school friends left town and it's like well shit i guess like you know meeting new people is hard and i guess it's me i guess it's me and you and then they get married and you're like that's probably not what you should have done but like you know i'll take the free cake (laughs) i wouldn't go to the wedding but there's a way you could have this power structure right of like oh they're both nippy towards each other but instead he he... is constantly nippy towards her he does not stop nagging her ever ever and she never does anything about it. She never nips back. She's always just like, okay, yeah, oh, you're angry. Okay, oh, you're I'm so, so sorry, you're I love so you. so cute. It's so cute. Of- the excuse the movie gives for why is that she knows he's got a kind heart on the inside, even if he's rough on the outside. And it leans into, I think, one of, like, the worst and most pervasive, like, toxic relationship things that exists in society, which is this idea that, like, even if somebody treats you like shit it's fine because inside of they're nice. If, oh, if I just stay with them a little bit longer, I can fix them. And I, Oh, I can find, like, the rough hewn of jewel inside their heart that keeps fucking berating me. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like, newsflash, like, if somebody's a bad person, they're a fucking bad person. And it doesn't and matter. The, the 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 movie does this so poorly because the way it handles this is it just has Eddie be nice to literally 
everyone else but her. And it's just like, no, that still makes him a piece of shit. Like, as far as she's concerned, he's still a bad person. To the extent that, like, by the end of the movie, she not only believes that he doesn't want this child, even... Even though he literally loves children. Even though he literally likes kids, she believes that he's cheating on her. Because what else is she supposed to expect to believe? He never talks to her about anything. The only time he talks to her is to literally berate her. (sighs) There's so many, like, just super gross red flags in their relationship. So it's like, anytime they're talking, he's, like, nagging her. Um, There's a scene in which she's like, hey, I gotta go home. Baby is cold outside. And he's like, no, stay the night. And she's like, I'm gonna, like, my brother's gonna get super mad. He's like, nah, just stay here, and we'll have Hayes Code sex. He literally doesn't care about her consent and the fact that she says no, like, repeatedly. And it's not, like, a rape scene, but it's not, like, a consensual scene. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's just, it's all... It's so pushy and it, so, like, it all comes from It all comes from a place of laziness. The movie, the, the writing in this movie and the editing in this movie... It, none of it is trying to do service to the characters or the story. It's all trying to do. It's all doing service to getting you to the misery, getting you to the miscommunication. All it cares about is 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 indulging you in their inability to be happy. But the thing that sucks work. about it, and the thing that doesn't work about it, is all of the problems that come out of their relationship are nothing. Because contrivance. They're all just contrivance because all of them could be fixed with a sentence. Right? There's no stakes to why they're not talking to each other. There's no, like, well, I can't tell you because. It's just, well, I'm not going to. Well, I'm just choosing not to tell you. Here's a pretty good example of this. They have premarital sex. And, of course, in movie term, in movie language, that means that Dorothy is pregnant. Secretly pregnant. And so she doesn't tell Eddie. Because Mm -hmm. she's like, well, Eddie... Eddie hates kids. Eddie wants... No, she's like, Eddie wants to have this radio store and i don't want to impose on him the fact that i'm having a child when he wants to open this radio store so she tells him i want to go back to work Mm -hmm. and he starts going off about how like well men need to be the only ones who work the only breadwinners you think i can accept your fucking women money and fucking shit a lot of movies mad about women really mad about women money and about how apparently men aren't allowed to take it but like it culminates in him thinking oh she's unhappy living in a single one-bedroom apartment so he decides, like, shitty Gift of the Magi style, to use all of his savings, all of his savings, to buy her a house with all new furniture. Which she didn't ask for, and didn't it even really imply she wanted. So she was like, I want to get a job. And then he starts getting really mad, and she and being like, well, why do you need a job? And she's like, oh, well, you know, I think I, ju- I just think I could help out around the house. And do you want to, like, live in this house forever? Like, if we both had a job, you know, our lives would be better. Like, that's literally all she says. And she's saying this because she's trying to calm him down. Because anytime she brings anything up, he just gets super angry and tells her to shut up. And he buys her a fucking house. And it's, like, so far. Like... You could have bought her a new house with used furniture. You could have bought her new furniture, but you could have do- just got a bigger apartment. You could have just used half of your savings, right? Like the 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 like fucking hoop that this guy and the movie has to do this because if he doesn't go this far, he's a shitty person. Mm-hmm. This is the only way they make him like kind of sort of good, but it's ridiculous. Also, like. All of their friends know she's pregnant, and all of her friends let this man make this choice. And now it's just like, you guys have shitty friends. Y'all have shitty friends. Any one of these people could have been like, maybe, 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 maybe step it back a bit. Even, and, but the thing is, like, even Edda's, like, not telling them, though. Yeah. 
And she should. No. Like, one of these people should have been like, yo, hey, she's pregnant. I'm a, le- hey, let me be the adult in the room. Your wife's fucking pregnant, idiot. Yeah. Return this shit. Keep the house. Get some used furniture, though. Get some used furniture, though. The, and it's 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 wild. It's just, like, the level of miscommunication, like, reaches parody levels. This is where I feel like the communication issues kind of fall solely on Eddie's lap is any time Edna kind of tries to talk to him, oh. he becomes a giant, literal baby. He's a Where mess. he just gets, like, super upset. He's like, oh, my God, you, you want to talk about problems? No, I, oh, I I'm going through so much, and you can't talk about your problems because that's so hard on me. Have you not thought about me when you think about your feelings? And it's like, dude, what the, what is wrong with you? And it's supposed to be like, I don't know, like, oh, my God, she's so inconsiderate. Like, and it's like, no, these communications are born purely out of the fact that you will not listen to your wife. It's just without it's, making it about you, you literal yeah, man child. Everything everything is about him. It sucks. And like it's frustrating because for the most part, his character is written and acted pretty decently. And it's, it's Well, the it's, real problem in lies in the fact that if he's not talking to his wife, there's like chemistry between the actors and it comes off as like kind of a jerk but funny and there are a lot of scenes in which like he's talking and being cute with babies and you're like ah that's great i love when a man likes children right but he never does any of that in front of his wife so to this woman he's like a monster of a man Mm -hmm. or at the very least just like a very unfeeling unfeeling emotionally manipulative man yeah just an unfeeling robot well no he feels things when she tries to say anything and he feels anger yes it doesn't work. His character doesn't work. Because her character's nothing. Her character is literally nothing. Like she exists. She has a character in the beginning, and be... that ex- disappears as soon as she falls in love. Her character stops. Yeah, her, her defining characteristic just is wiped away like a fucking whiteboard, and she just becomes like a yesman woman e. person for the whole movie. And like it just all of it sucks. And it's and, and part of the reason why we're like we mentioned earlier that like those middle thirty minutes are good <laughs> is not that they're good. It's just that. The movie is moving at such a pace That's true. that it's it, it hits that like level of enter of like cheap popcorn entertainment that you want out of out of like a CW drama or out yeah. of a fucking I don't know what's a popular soap opera that people like. Supernatural. That's okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it hits it hits just kind of that level of like trash because it, it, it's moving fast enough and everybody's talking in like a very like a rhythmic way to each other. That yeah, you're they're like, just saying ridiculous things. That, they're like comparing cucumbers to bedrooms and you're like sure some real housewife shit yeah Mm -hmm. so there's a beautiful 20 minutes after you find out that she's pregnant but he's already spent all this money and he's like oh well i have to start working extra hard for her this is like i think genuinely interesting and really cool but super out of character for this man so wild he's like a very aggressive man who's like oh my can't make money or leave the house or whatever but then also as soon as she's pregnant he's like hey baby i got the chores don't you lift a finger. I'm going to work extra shifts. I'm going to do dishes. I'm going to wear this cute apron. And this is when the movie, like, tricks you into liking him again. Because you're like, damn, mm-hmm. I love a man in a frilly apron. Who, like, for the first time in this movie, loves his wife for no reason. Mm-hmm. Or at the least is, like, treating her with actual kind of respect. Mm-hmm. Like, still weirdly derogatory, but, like, his actions are respectful. And, like, a little gender, like, non-normative, and that's great. Mm-hmm. When you think about kind of like what the er point of his character is, right? Person who doesn't want to repeat the mistakes of his parents, who doesn't want to raise a child in misery and leave them abandoned to fend for themselves, suddenly finds themselves repeating those mistakes actively and decides, I need to do better. I need to work the extra mile to ensure that this woman and the child that is 
since she's essentially going to have are are comfortable in a way that could never happen to me and and it kind of makes sense but the writing just isn't there and it's the it's movie just so sudden. the movie is too is too lazy it's it it's too lazy to do any of the work and the only reason it works is because it is it is a movie and it can just use all it can kind of piggyback off of a lot of visual language and emotional acting yeah. especially in one scene where that that kind of allows you to to just kind of accept that this is what the movie you're watching is um but at the end of the day i think the the, the word that i would use to describe it is lazy it's lazy yeah. i think the most interesting thing about this movie is the fact that i think this is kind of the first movie that we really see being hit by what will eventually become known as the hayes code or the motion picture association of america ipaa standards um which are going to be adopted in the next year because this movie had to be extensively rewritten um multiple copies were sent to hayes office hayes office directly the person mm -hmm. um, who, who's writing this code in order to ensure that this movie kind of hit the moral tones that he believed movies should have and i think there is something to be said about kind of like what happens to a story like this when it is in the hands of people who who don't care about telling a story that makes sense but instead only care about presenting people on film in a way that is like proper right like this type of this type of like subtle what censorship what children see it literally i think that is a thing that is said in the article that I, in the in the article that i was reading about this is like well we can't risk children walking into a theater and seeing this stuff yeah but we can risk children going home with phrases oh my god sorry that this movie was eventually rewritten like multiple times until finally finally fox executives kind of got a script that was approved with minor changes and they were like well we are, we don't want to make this movie for money because you know it's probably not going to do well because the Hayes office isn't going to let us promote it because it's too risque here's the thing right is like i was trying to think of like what is the risque thing about this movie what is the thing that happens and it's it's premarital sex. and it's the premarital sex it's the fact the fact that this woman has premarital sex is the thing that 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 is inconsolable and that's why the movie's fucking called bad girl yeah even though she is never bad this is a woman who exists to be like a sale she is pushed around by the humans in her life and by the plot uh, yeah. until eventually she is like charting a sea that she never really had a chance to consider and the movie treats her like, like she's the villain of this movie like she's the villain yeah. for no reason i think a thing that we should mention was that when we were watching this we did not know at first oh, whether right. she was pregnant or not so it was unclear to us whether she had sex or not. What they visually show us is that she's like, hey, I can't be out this late. Like, I gotta go home. And he's like, no, no, just keep hanging out with me, baby. And they kiss. And then we shoot back to them and they are asleep on a chair. Fully clothed. Fully clothed. With the same clothes. With the same clothes. And she's like, oh, it's 4 a.m. I gotta go. I'm freaking out. And I thought, oh, they fell asleep cuddling on a chair. That's very uncomfortable. But mm -hmm. in my head, I was like, I guess they just made out this whole time. I could see it being comfortable. She has already established that, like, she has a time she needs to be home. So I was like, everyone's just freaking out because she's, because she's, like, past her curfew. And not until later, when the pregnancy happened, we're like, oh, no, it was premarital no, sex. No, they definitely, okay. they had sex. And that's, and that's... But none of the language in this movie is, like, risque at all. And I mean, I have seen so many movies, so many movies that are about, like, you know, like a woman has premarital sex, a woman has baby, a woman's never prepared for it. And like it's supposed to be a story about motherhood or whatever bullshit like 
moral this is quandary. a story about how and, hard it is for fathers when is, their wives have kids andy i uh, yeah but it's also kind of a morality play right about yeah. how you know you know women this could be you if you have pre-marital, pre-marital sex. sex i don't know i feel like we've been talking in circles for a bit about this movie and it really is just because this movie is kind of boring it's incredibly insulting it's not doing anything it's not even it's not even being bad in interesting ways because it's only it's being bad in ways that we've already talked about yeah it's and it's honestly the the only interesting thing about it is the fact that like this is the turning point after Mm -hmm. this movies are going to be heavily censored of any and all sexual content and like that type of quote-unquote sexual deviancy in order to fit this like fucking protestant hive mind belief of like what fucking media should be which is some real nazi shit not the only nazi shit happening not in the 1932 only, yeah not the only nazi shit happening in too. but like it's just it's stuff that like like the curtailing of culture that is going to be caused after the Hayes code comes into effect is starting here at this movie and like we still see its effects today the fact that like the Motion Pictures Association of America, like, has such a fucking sway over whether or not a film is considered viable by, like, mainstream media means that even now we are still scared as, like, an American audience of movies that even think about being about anything sexual or emotionally positive about sex. Like, the fact that we can watch someone's, like, head get shot up, and that's, like, a teen rating, but if you see a man's butt cheeks... That's an R. Mm-hmm. And it's that's like a hard that. R. That's what you you would rather uh, people you, see extreme violence. And you can't even get it you can't even get a penis on screen no matter how hard you, you try. No, you're not allowed. Um it just it's one of those things where and like I do think that like rating systems and tag systems are definitely things that we need because you know, there are certain things that people might not be emotionally prepared for or that aren't suitable for children for sure. But to, to take that to such an extent that we are now excluding certain types of movies be, to be made. Means... Well, the things that we are tagging as harmful and the things that we are tagging as not harmful are ridiculous and they come from this Protestant place. And they, and they, they come from a very biased white place. And, and also, it's, 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 it's a way of limiting what is considered appropriate, right? Yeah. Like, the fact that, like, okay, so here's something that you mentioned before, uh, which is, like, the fact that, like, seeing somebody's head get blown off is, like, not a big deal. But, like, you know, kind of taking it to a very extreme example, like, any time any movie has a character in it who is in a gay relationship, that is considered to be uh, sexual content. Mm -hmm. Even if they're not even kissing. If it is just two men holding hands, that is considered sexual content by the MPAA. By the weird fucking rules that they have of rating things. And, like, that kind of behavior is being is kind of slowly going away as we as a culture are more and more used to the idea of people being in gay relationships or presenting themselves in like very non-binary ways of being in relationships mm-hmm. with other people who are very uh in very explicit ways but like this fucking idea has been so pervasive in culture that if somebody posts a video on youtube talking about their experience as a gay man or a trans person in the united states it is flagged as explicit content by youtube's automated system and not allowed to be viewable by children and Mm -hmm. like that's heinous it's telling people and telling kids that this content is not only amoral but downright like vulgar and what we say is immoral and what we say is vulgar shapes how we feel about these things it shapes society it shapes society it shapes the conversations we have and like the fact that this is kind of all starting with this shitty ass movie yeah. Really makes sense. Oh, God. You've done it again, Frank Borzaggi. So speaking of things Frank Borzaggi has a habit of doing, let's talk about the minorities in this movie. I think this is one of those things that I think is, is definitely racist, but interesting. The movie use of minorities 
is primarily to remind us that these two white people are poor. Like, there's a scene in the movie where when they're hanging around Coney Island, there is, like, a lone black man. And a I'll, person of color walk by and you're like, damn, you know I'm in a poor neighborhood. There's, there's one African-American one, Yeah, person. exactly. There's an African-American here. Holy shit. And then, like, later, when they're walking into Dorothy's tenement building, a couple of um, African-American workers are, like, taking out the garbage and you're like, oh, my, oh my God, God, they must be living in... And, like, the, the point of if it... If they had money, those would be white workers. Those would be... Yeah, exactly. They, those would be Irish people. Um, that was a joke. Um, and I, I, I want to stress that, like, we don't think that that's true, but the movie, that's what the movie's doing. The movie is using, like, minorities as an indicator of these people's status. And I mean, it, it really, like, it, it says something about the society, though. It's like, it's not even that black people live in their building. It's that black people take out their trash, right? Mm -hmm. And the ideal of, like, well, even if you're white poor, you're above... Like black poor. Black poor. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's, well, yeah, it's they're not, so gross. They're not living in, like, Brooklyn or Bronx, right? But, yeah, the way they depict poorness is such, like, an elevated poorness, right? Because it's, oh, it's yeah. such a fake class of people that doesn't exist. <laughs> well, maybe it did at the time, right? Like, this is this is definitely... The, I think these days we look at these two and we think, that's middle-class America. But I think at the time that was what poor people were, which really says a lot about how, like, wealth disparity has changed <laughs> in this country in the last fucking 190 years. It's wild. And it culminates in the fact that, like, the, the true indicator that these people are poor is that they have to share... One, they have to share a hospital room with this woman of color who I think is Italian. I also think they're Italian. And and this is back when, like, Italians in the United States had the same cultural signifiers that, like, Hispanic people do these days, right? They were they were filthy immigrants, quote-unquote. It's it's supposed to be shocking that this... I mean, not only that, well, they really lean into a lot of, like, oh, well, you know Italians are, like, terrible people because they have all of these kids, kids that they don't care about. This man doesn't even know no. how many kids he has. He knows... Oh, it's so bad. It's ridiculous. It is wild how close it is to the language we use when we refer to Hispanic people, right? Yeah. That's such a trope of... And, we've, and, and like I said, this isn't new. We've talked about this before. Yeah. But like, yeah, it shows us how these, like, racist... This racist imagery is, like, it's not new. It's not imaginative. It is literally... It is just... It is always transplanted to whoever it is we hate. This Next. This fucking, like, generation. I also think the dichotomy between, like, father figures is so wild because there is like, a prominent language of, like, oh, well, if you're a dad, like, the kid's not really your business, and if you're too into your kid, that's weird. But also a language of, like, oh, well, these immigrants don't even care about their kids, and his father doesn't know his kid, and, like, there's a hypocrisy there that they just don't quite grasp with. They, they don't re they don't recognize it. They don't reconcile with it because they don't even know it's there. They, as far as they're concerned, like, no, this is, this is just the way things are, and it's, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just don't know. don't know. It's certain. This is certainly a movie we watched. <laughs> so there's one good scene. One good shot. Oh, we're gonna be talking about two different things. We are. Let me let me let me preface it with this. Then, would you consider this your favorite scene in the movie? I would. Anyways, so the best scene in this whole movie, and honestly, I think the reason it went to the Oscars is because of the scene. Tbh, but maybe mm -hmm. I'm wrong. Speaking of how this woman had, I need to backtrack. I need to just. Whoop. Yeah. So speaking about how this woman has no character, this is a big deal for this moment. Before, she was like, I should get a second job. Like, we don't have the money for this. Uh, whatever. Her mom died while she was giving labor, so she's obviously very concerned about, like, the baby and, she's like, giving labor, and she's kind of scared. Ability to, to make it through this. She decides that she needs the most expensive doctor. Oh, right. I forgot about this. Even though this totally breaks, like, the little character she had before, which was caring about, like, the poverty and stuff. So she's like, oh, I need this rich doctor. I need this billionaire doctor or else I can't give birth. And it's just like, why? 
you've never cared about this before, and it's totally understandable that you're scared, but, like, you could have leaned into the romance of it, but instead she's just like, I need this millionaire doctor, so this man's like, okay, I guess I work more shifts and don't tell you about it, and I'm gonna get you this billionaire doctor, but then she does, like, another change where she's like, I just want you to be with me, and he's like, no. You're sending me mixed signals here, and also I've already made some very fucking wild decisions, like, I'm gonna go get my ass beat by a very understanding man. I, I feel like the nicest man in this whole movie is that boxer who's like, oh, you gotta do this? For the money, I'll play softball with you. And it's like, that boxer's a very nice <laughs> why, man. Why didn't you say so? Let's have a conversation about how much I love my kids and how they're smarter than me. A real Columbo of a man right there. I feel like Columbo's just a shorthand for like a good... A good... A, a good, good man. A good husband. A good husband. All men should aspire to be Columbo. That's true. You love your wife. If you define it. yourself as a man... Aspire to be Columbo. Aspire to be Columbo. If you identify as a man, aspire to be Columbo. Love your wife. Uh, stick it to rich people, murderers. Mm -hmm. Anyways, so he goes to this doctor who's like super rich and he's like, please be there for my wife. She needs you. And he just like starts breaking down and he's like ugly sobbing, like real ass tears in front of this man. It's... And like begging him on his knees. It is, honestly, we were so shocked by the, surprised. the sheer This honesty. man could be defined as one thing, and it was, like, prideful, and that just dissolves. And in this moment, he, for the first time ever in this movie, he loves his wife. He, re he like, he truly... I think explore. he says something along the lines of, like, I would die for her, and it's would, like... Where, where, where was did this, this come from? Where was this for the last hour and 15 fucking minutes? Yeah. Because we really could have used it to get us through it. Like... This dense fucking idiot. And, like, this is all, like, writing problems is yeah. what I'll say, right? Like, writing and editing issues. This fucking actor, though, really sells this scene. He is going at it. He is fucking, like, ugly crying. He's been doing this, like, affectation in his voice for the whole movie where he'll be, like... He kind of speaks in this, like, fake-ass New York accent that we've been t kind of doing a little while where he's just, like... My New York uh, accent's all authentic, baby. Uh, come on, it's NYC. me. I'm your, I'm your friend. I'm just trying to do everybody's by the best. I kind of sound like I'm from New Jersey, but, but I'm New York. I promise. I swear. I'm just poor. I guess that's what New Jersey He's in New Jersey. <laughs> You're from New Jersey or New but, Bronx. Yeah. <laughs> and and he, he does a stupid thing where he just says, okay. And Oh my God. Every time the wife says, I love you, he goes, okay. okay. He's never told this woman he, he loves her. But to this stranger, he's crying and being like, I would die for I her. It's like, you should her. maybe just say you love her. And it, Yeah, right? It's like... Maybe tell her you love her before you start sobbing to this stranger. What, what this... here And here's the thing, is that this movie really wanted any ounce of redemption. He would have had that in front of his wife and not in front of this random ass doctor. So this, for this moment, you're bought in and you're like, holy shit, this whoa. dude... Damn. And also, again, the actor totally nailing this performance. And then immediately after this, he goes to the hospital and then treats his wife like garbage again. Mm -hmm. And she's like, hey, where the fuck have you been? I'm very mad at you because I gave birth to a child and you weren't here. And he's just like, yeah, why are you on my ass, baby? And, like, he doesn't literally say he, that. All he needed to... The only thing he needed to say is, I was getting my ass beat up so that I could afford your doctor. And then she would be like, oh, my God. You care. You care. Or he could be like, I love you. And she'd probably forget all of the other sins due to pure shock. This woman, yeah, this woman has such a low, this woman has set the bar so low for him and yet he continuously fucking limbos under it. I, he has, I think there's a literal quote from the movie that is, I think nice things all the time, I just can't say them. Which is like, Listen. such a gross stereotype for men of yeah. like, oh, I just can't communicate well. Like, no, that's fucking garbage. If you can't communicate well, you don't deserve to be in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Sorry. 
it falls flat on its face despite how good it is because there's nothing supporting it from behind there's nothing supporting it from the front and so there's just, it has nothing to be it's vapid <laughs> my so my favorite scene because it's technically still what we're talking about mm-hmm. is actually a favorite shot it's the only interesting shot in the movie. Earlier in the movie, after they, they decided that they're in love, she decides to meet up with him after work. And the camera does Oh this... my god, I forgot about... I forgot well, yeah, and, I and forgot Don't, don't worry, we'll talk me. about it. Because this is gonna, my favorite shot is going to lead into what, what is ostensibly my favorite scene. Uh, just because it's so dumb. Yeah. Um, so the scene starts with a shot that's kind of like overlooking uh, these shops in... Um, I don't know, somewhere in New York probably. It's probably a soundstage. But the camera like pans down it goes like an overhang passes in front of it and then it pans over and the entire time she's like walking down the street turning the corner and eventually stops in front of this like boutique shop where they've agreed to meet and it's such a pretty shot it's like raining and there's people around it's nighttime yeah and like it's just it's so gorgeous and the camera movement is so fluid and it just looks and it's the only good shot in the whole movie like you haven't seen a shot like this yet and we're pretty far into the movie it's it's dynamic it's vertically dynamic i think you don't really see in movies very much right it's having the camera move vertically like that um it's it's a it's a it's one of those things that like had it been done with any less like care or bet or with slightly worse framing, it would have felt artificial and awkward. But it's fluid and it flows and it works. It utilizes the verticality of these tenement buildings uh, and then like naturally transition into the horizontal placement of the shops. It's fucking spectacular. Uh, and then we proceed to find out that this woman was abandoned in the rain in front of this store for, for hours. three hours. I think they say three hours because this dumb motherfucker is too busy working on his new radio. So this man calls her and he's like, let's go on a date to this place. No, she calls him at his job. He agrees to go on a date to this place. Nonetheless, entirely consenting. And he literally forgets Forgets. about her. He's not doing anything important. He has no excuse. He literally just forgets about her. She's abandoned in the rain. She shows up to his house and is mad. And he's like, no, baby, don't be mad. Think about how that makes me feel when you're mad. No, baby, just forgive me. And she's like, no, uh, I'm mad. And And this this is is the night they have sex. This is the night they have have premarital sex. So she's mad at him. She wants to leave. And and he's just like, no, 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 no. Think about me. Think about the fact that I need to own this. I'm going to own this radio shop, so I need to practice on my radio shit. It's like, no, you're a fucking piece of shit. You abandoned her for three hours. And and they it's just she just gets over it in like the next two minutes because mm-hmm, yeah, the plot well, needs her. The to. plot needs her to again like she is a sail like a vast on this ocean. I forgot. I three forgot. hours. Yeah. Uh, it's like poetry. It rhymes. And, and it, it's one of those things where, like, you know, once that happens, it's kind of understandable that later she's like, oh, he's not working extra shifts. He's just forgetful or forgetting about me forgetting about me stopping around not thinking about the child precedent for this she has a best friend named edna who's pretty funny she's great but also edna's child is like super perverted and racist and racist racist. i want to talk very briefly about her perverted racist about her perverted racist son and this one scene because i think it's one of those things where it's like it has no place in this movie and i think exists solely just to throw just to throw a little bit of race science at me and really just make me mad like what which is not a thing i wanted from this movie because i was already kind of mad at it um which is this child this woman walks into this room and her fucking perverted son her perverted racist son, is, like, doing something with a bunch of vials. And she's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm mixing... uh, Milk with ink. I'm mixing milk with ink. So he says, every time I put a little bit of milk into the black ink, black ink doesn't get any whiter. But if I put a little bit of black ink into the milk, 
the milk always gets blacker. Isn't that interesting? And I'm like, why the, you know what movie? No, it fucking isn't. Why are you telling me this? The implication Where is this coming being from? wild of like, oh, well, you gotta stay pure you gotta stay and pure. white. That's why milk has to stay with milk and why it doesn't matter if there's any, if there's a little bit of milk in your ink. Like, fuck off. I love when my uh, poor rom-com just gets into a little bit of eugenics. Just throw a little bit of eugenics in there. It's 1932. Just splash around in the eugenics. We're about to get a whole fucking lot thrown at us anyway. Like, I fucking cannot. And I really do think it, it feels like it was just thrown in there by, like, I don't know, some time traveler just to really fuck with me. Because it comes out of nowhere, and then after that, it's gone. I do think it's just emphasizing, like, I, I genuinely think this is just them playing in, like, this poverty space of, like, oh, well, they... Maybe they're, maybe they're a little black. Maybe that's why they're poor, right? Like, you never know. I, I don't know. It really, it feels like, it feels like a shitty bit, like a skit. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> like maybe it was. <laughs> it does feel like a PragerU video. It, on it, maybe it was like a joke. Maybe this is what, like, qualified is as a joke? joke at the time. Uh, like, oh, aren't eugenics so funny and true? Could you imagine Robert <laughs> Downey Jr. saying that instead of being like, let's go get some shawarma. He's like, here's some eugenics and race signs for you. <laughs> oh, the reason he's a pervert, and this matters a little less than this matters uh, yeah, less this matters than the eugenics. But uh, is she's like getting out of bed, and she's like, "Oh, you have to get out of the room, son, because she's wearing pajamas." And he's like, "Nah, but I want to see those titters." <laughs> and you're like, "Is this person twelve? It, I, yeah, I. The child feels like they're nine. But I but all of these child's act- line are clearly meant to be like humorous, yeah. and instead they are creepy and mm-hmm. eugenicist. Yeah. Well, later we this fucking little Norman Bates later is like peeling off the wallpaper with a right. kitchen knife. So you know, oh, maybe he never that's, comes back again. Maybe, by the way, yeah. Edna and this woman hang she, out she, later, and she never has her son again. And him. I have to imagine like he died. She was like, "Let's well, do a little eugenics, just you and me," and then you. she murders him. <laughs> I, I have to imagine that later she just takes this kid and they, like, go open up their own little motel, you know, and then she dies and he goes through a lot. Uh, and, and he puts, becomes a terrible uh, allegory for trans for, representation. Oh, God, yeah. That actor who played Norman Bates is a, in a weird life. Yeah. But let's talk about the ages of these actors. Yes. Oh, my favorite game. All right. So, starting with Jimmy or James Dunn. Is he our main boy? He's the main boy. He plays Eddie. He is the son of a stockbroker. I learned that while I was reading about him. Um, Uh, He doesn't look super old, I don't think. He does look very young in this movie. So I'm going to say that he is 30. James Dunn was born in 1901, which would have made him exactly 30 when this movie was made. Nice! Sally Oilers. She is... She is uh, Dorothy. She's Dorothy. Oh, I've been calling her Edna this whole time. Yeah, have you? I... Yeah, this entire this entire recording, I've called her Edna. Yeah, sorry. Her name is Dorothy, or I think they call her Dot. They don't say her name a lot in the movie. Also, sorry, just real quick while I'm reading this, apparently the film is technically supposed to be like Depression era. Well, they're literally in the Depression, so I think that's it. But the, I don't know. It doesn't. It feels like these writers weren't affected very much by the depression. I really do see it, yeah. I'm getting real. The depression didn't hurt me in my trust fund vibes. Uh, I think she is 24. She was born in 1908, which would have made her 
23. Ah, Damn, you're really nailing these. I'm on fire. All right. Mina Mina or Minna Gombell, who Mm. played Edna, played the the single mom. Um, I... I don't think she's that much older. I'm going to say 26. 26. Uh, Minna Gombell was born in 1892, which would have made her 39. Oh, dang. She looks great. She does look amazing. For being a person who's like on the cusp of 40. I was also incredibly surprised at how... I guess she's supposed to be paying like an old hag mom. Yeah, she looks amazing, though. She doesn't look old at all. I, I, I did think that she was a little bit older than Sally, but I didn't think she was, like, yeah, she's, like, a decade older. That's wild. And I thought I, I thought the character was a decade older, but the actress, I was like... I, I don't think she's like, that much she's older. In. I thought she was honestly the same age as James Dunn, who played the, the, yeah. main, lead, the main male lead. I was super far off with that one. Um, But, yeah, no, she was 39. Wow. Um, which actually makes her a decade older than James Dunn, technically. Yeah. Wild. Um, wow. She looks great. I mean, she is great in the movie. She's probably my favorite part of it. She's She's got a lot of the jibber-jabber that is not inherently like racist yeah she's got a lot of the best lines too um there's at one point at one point she comes in to talk to eddie and dorothy mm-hmm. and eddie says what they haven't the president hasn't called you to go to dc and run the country for him and she says oh honey please the president comes to me for help and i'm like that's fucking awesome this woman's great and also them like they have trading more chemistry jabs with each other than in- like him and Dorothy ever have. It's one of those things where Dorothy's really playing this character who's supposed to be this, like, foppish... Not foppish, but, like, weak... I think you could call her foppish. Fo- you could. Foppish, weak, uh, like, demure woman. Which is wild, because the movie is called Bad Girl. Yeah, she's... Yeah. She does one titular sin. Well, you like know, Eve. just like a Protestant would think, you know, only doing the one sin, it make, taints you for life, right? You take a bite of that apple... Or that furnace, mm-hmm. and that's it. Yeah, fuck Cast out of the garden. Mm-hmm. And then Eddie complains about Edna a lot. Yeah, he's so like, you hear oh, her is your friend Edna coming over? Yeah. You know, I don't like it when she comes over. Because I really encapsulate all of the terrible masculine traits, so I hate your friends, Edna and just, I wish you wouldn't hang yeah, out with them. Edna just comes around and is like, oh, Eddie, you don't know anything about anything. <laughs> I can pleasure but your also, wife in ways you never could. Edna's weirdly supportive of their relationship, and it's like, you'll never find a better man, but I think just because Edna's single, and she's like, you know what, you shouldn't be single in the world, so you should just be married to it, the shitty dude. To me, it really does come across as like, well, I know that if she leaves him, her life is going to be... Worse. Impossible. Yeah. Right? Like, like there are no, there is no fallback for, for single women in this society, um, and, and if people realize that, that she's not only single, she has a baby, like that's that's like untenable right like it's, it would be like there people won't hire you outright based on that shit yeah so i do think it, it's not coming from a place of like i'm supportive of this relationship and more coming from a place of like i desperately need to make sure that this young woman doesn't have to go through the hard life that i went through and if that means bullying or cuck husband do you think this movie deserved an oscar no mm-hmm. no absolutely not uh, this movie is this movie con- continues to be boring, and uh, uh, this movie has one good scene. I think it deserves and one a good scene shot. credit. <laughs> one good shot, uh, but if they gave Oscars for one good shot, I mean, Sorry. if they gave Oscars for one good shot, right? Like Guillermo del Toro would win every year, That's anytime true. he released a movie, because he every single one of his movies have at least one shot that you're like, oh. I've never, I've never, I've never even conceived. <laughs> so we're just talking about pregnancy a lot. Yeah. All, and just on top of it, like just kind of as an aside, 
I don't recommend watching this movie, but I think of the ones we've seen, this one's definitely up there in terms of watchability, right? Like, to, to go back and compare this movie to the shit that we've seen, this is definitely one of the more entertaining ones to watch. It's There's fast. There's a point in this movie where you're kind of hype, and it's when he's on his knees crying, and you're like, yes. And that's, that's the, and you might as well turn off the movie after that scene, because that's the highest it crashes from there. Yeah, and that's, that's about the one hour and 15 minute mark, which is fine. That's good enough to get on fucking PBS. Like, <laughs> if you were to go back and watch any of these older movies, this one's not the best, but it's definitely one of the easiest to swallow. Yeah, easy to consume because it is pulp. Easy to conceive. <laughs> No. <laughs> slides right out the wall. It slides right out. Of, it really does slide right out of me. Gross. Ew. <laughs> Ew. Can we talk about? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I'm. This is also probably gonna get cut. But like, can we talk about the scene where this nurse keeps bringing the wrong? Oh my god! Baby? I forgot about this. Yes. This is. What is this? This is. This is at the end of the film. She's like lying in bed. Her husband isn't there. Whatever. This. And Dorothy's like. I feel like this nurse is like. This nurse also knows to nag her. This nurse is like fucking punking this woman. I want, and I, I really, I really genuinely want you guys to just like paint, like imagine this with me. You have, you have just given birth. You've just conceived. You've conceived a baby. You've conceived a beautiful bouncing baby boy. This is the thing that you've been afraid of your entire life. You're. You thought you were gonna die. You're worried. You're scared that maybe you won't love this child. That maybe. Also, you're scared your husband doesn't love this and you're child. Scared, yeah, you're scared that you're. Lo- yeah, and like you're. You're committed to maybe leaving him. Um, for the sake of this child. For the sake of this child, if he doesn't. For this beautiful bouncing this baby boy. This beautiful boy. And this nurse walks over and said and shows you, and shows this you bundle of joy. this bundle of joy and says, "Oh my God, isn't he? Doesn't he look amazing?" And you say, oh my god, is that my child? And she goes, no, <laughs> no it's, it's that woman's child, Jeffrey. Psycho! Walks away. And she comes back. And she's holding a bundle of joy in her arms. A and second bundle of she, joy. She, like, wipes its forehead and she, like, like brings it up to you and, and puts like, it next to you. And she's isn't it beautiful? And you say, yeah. No, 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 that's not what you say. You say, oh, this is my child. And she goes, no, this is a six-month-old baby. Don't you have eyes? Dumb bitch. Psych. And walks away again. This is what happens when you have premarital sex, slut. <laughs> and she walks back over with a third beautiful bouncing baby boy. And at this point, you've learned a lesson. And you say, oh, he looks nice. And she goes, is that it? Doesn't it look nice? Yeah, he looks great. It's your son. Aren't you going to hold him in your arms? The poor don't love their children anymore. Stop. Are we done? Is there anything else we need to say? Uh, we've been your hosts. Uh, I'm Mavis Evergreen. You can find me at Awkward Allegory or Allegory Awkward. It's one of those. It's the second one. You can find me on Twitter. I'm Andy, by the way. You can find me on Twitter at Royalty underscore Valens. And he cannot conceive. And I cannot conceive. And you can, you will see that how much, <laughs> how little I can conceive because uh, I never tweet. Uh, but you can also find my other podcast at Direct2.video, uh, which I do with my friend Tony, uh, where we watch slight slightly better movies <laughs> join us next time because we have moved we are moving on from the year 1932 we are in the year 1933 no we'll be in the year 1934 oh <gasps> 1933 never happened 1933 never happened i think 1932 was 1932 slash 33 but we will be moving on to 1934 where we will be watching cavalcade by frank lloyd
you're a nurse. Do not psych <laughs> and you're, mothers. And you're thinking, and you're thinking, God, this would be such a great bit. You're right, but don't do this. It's terrible. It's terrible. It I hated really this though. nurse. If you are committed to doing it, call me. I want to be there when it happens. But... No, I'm cutting this out. No. <laughs> I want, I no. Want to see, I want to no. See. <laughs>